morning. I'd like to welcome you to another edition of our Anchored in the Word Morning Reflection. And today we are in Luke chapter 1. We're looking at verses 67 down to verse 80. And I have to tell you, this is one of my absolute favorite passages dealing with the Incarnation, Christmas-related passages. So Luke 1, Luke 1, 67 to 80, let's read it together and then dig into some wonderful, rich truths here. And his father, Zecharias, was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He hath raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have, sent, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies from the hand of those who hate us, to perform the mercies promised to our father and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And thou, child, thou shalt be called the prophet of the highest, <coughs> for thou shalt go before the face <coughs> of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercies of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, and was in the desert till the days of his showing unto Israel. Now what I'd like to do is kind of give you, first of all, a summary statement of these verses. And then from that, I want to give you kind of the big picture. And then I want us to take this in two parts. Because there's really a lot of interesting and important information about the heart of the gospel in these verses. So first of all, summary statement. The purpose of the section in front of us was to reveal through Zechariah the heart of the gospel. And I want to remind you that God had been silent in Israel for several hundred years. So the final time, the final, uh, when we talk about prophecy in Old Testament Israel, the last thing that, that God said through a prophet was found in the book of Malachi. And so from, from Malachi to Zechariah, there's silence in Israel. Not that God isn't working in people's lives, that people aren't turning to the Messiah, but there was no active office of the prophet going on in Israel. And so when God speaks to Zechariah and his mouth is opened and he names his son, <coughs> he begins to talk about how God has visited his people again and how God has basically picked right up where he left off and he's going to fulfill his promises related to the Messiah. <coughs> so let me give you <coughs> excuse me, several facts that are laid out here and then let's dig into a couple of them today. The first fact we find is this, the gospel is about God coming and paying the price to redeem us unto himself. We see that in this phrase, <clears throat> he hath visited and he has redeemed his people. The second fact we see is that the gospel is about God being faithful to his word. It says it's as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began. <clears throat> we then come to the third fact. <coughs> The gospel is about us, about making us fit to be called God's children. And when we say fit to be called God's children, it's not about God making us righteous. It's about him declaring us righteous. And once we're in that position, we begin this process of him transforming and changing us so that we begin to actually live in the light of the position that we have. But we see that in this statement, that he would grant unto us that we being delivered 
out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. We then see a fourth fact that the gospel is about the miracle of the incarnation. He says, he shall be called the prophet of the highest. Thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his way. And <clears throat> this is clearly a reference to the book of Isaiah and a statement made about John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Messiah. A fifth fact, the gospel is about dealing with sin once and for all. He says it was to give light of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercies of our God. And then sixthly, we see that the gospel is about restoring life. He says it's to give light to them that sit in the darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. Now, I wanted to give you kind of a summary of these verses, but then I'd like to kind of dig into each of these statements one at a time so that we can really think about them and reflect on them together. The first thing we, we see is that the gospel is about God coming and paying the price to redeem us unto himself. <clears throat> Look down at verse 68. It says, it's blessed be the Lord God of Israel who has visited, very important word, and then it says he's redeemed his people. Now, when it says that he's visited, he, he literally means that God is coming to dwell amongst his people. Now, it's kind of interesting. We talk about the Old Testament and we talk about the temple and the tabernacle. When God was was bringing his people out of, out of Egypt and giving them the promised land, one of the things that we see is that he gave instruction to establish the tabernacle. And when God talks about the way that the people were to even camp when they were going from Egypt into the land of Israel, God actually had the people all around the tabernacle. And there in the tabernacle, God's presence dwelt, his Shekinah glory dwelt. And that was supposed to be the center of the nation. <clears throat> we then see that God has Solomon build his temple. And when Solomon builds the temple, the glory of the Lord fills that temple. And Jerusalem was supposed to be the center of life and worship in the land of Israel. God's desire has always been not just to have a people, but to dwell amongst his people. Well, when he says that he has visited his people, he literally means that he has come to be amongst his people. And we actually see that in the statement, Emmanuel means God with us. When the Lord Jesus Christ was born and his name was called Emmanuel, it literally means God in flesh was dwelling amongst his people. We think about in John chapter 1 where it talks about the word became flesh and he dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. So when we talk about the gospel, when we talk about the Christmas story, we see that it's about God literally coming to dwell amongst his people. But it's more than just him coming to dwell amongst his people. We know that, that, that God is holy and he's righteous and God cannot have fellowship with sin. And so what is God going to do? He's coming for a purpose. <clears throat> he says literally it was to redeem his people. That means that there was a price that was that needed to be paid so that God's people could actually fellowship and commune with him. And we see that that price that needed to be paid was the shedding of blood, the Lamb of God taking away the sins of the world. And so when this passage talks about God coming to redeem his people, literally the Lord Jesus Christ was going to lay down his life to pay the price for our sin. And he did that so that we could have fellowship with God. So that's what 
the heart of the gospel is all about, but there's a lot more we could say. We then see the second fact that the gospel is about God being faithful to his word. He says it like this in 69. He says, and God has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Well, why does he mention David? Why is David important? Well, it's because of the Davidic covenant. God made promises to David that he was going to establish his kingdom forever. And he was going to raise up someone who was going to rule on that throne forever. And he was talking about the Messiah. And so really what this is doing is it's referring back to those promises, those covenant promises to David. And God's literally saying, listen, just like I said I was going to do, I'm faithful to my word. I'm going to do it. (laughs) He then goes on in verse 70 to say, it was as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began. In other words, when we talk about this plan of redemption, this isn't something that God decided to do at the last minute. This is something that was in the mind of God even before the foundation of the world. God created humanity knowing that Adam and his wife would sin and that mankind would be uh, under the, the wrath of God and we would see that this creation would be a fallen creation. And God had a plan to redeem this creation. And so right after the fall, we see the first mention of the gospel where the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. And from that statement in Genesis 3.15, all the way through the Old Testament, we see that chapter after chapter points to God sending redemption. And so basically when Zechariah talks about the Messiah, he's emphasizing the fact that God is following through with his promises. As he has spoken, he is following through with that. In fact, I remember what Jesus says when he says, Until heaven and earth pass, not one jot or one tittle will pass from the law till everything is fulfilled. And you say, well, what's he talking about? He's basically saying every prophecy that's been made regarding myself, it's going to happen. Not even a part of it is going to fall short. God will be faithful to his word. We then see this third fact that I want us to mention today, (coughs) and that is that the gospel is about making us fit to be called God's children. I think about what the scripture tells us. It says, as many as received him, this is in John chapter one, to them he gave the power. And that, that word power means the authority or the right to be called the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. In other words, God makes us fit positionally to be called his children. It doesn't mean that we're fit practically. It means we're fit positionally. And that's very significant. Notice how he says it. He says that he would be saved, that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he spoke to our father Abraham. And this is the key, that he would grant unto us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Now, when he talks about serving God without fear, he could be talking about really two things. Either one, we're not afraid of our enemies who are coming against us. And I'm sure that that was a major part of it. When he talks about establishing his servant, the Messiah, on the throne of his father, David, he is emphasizing the fact that he was going to send peace to Israel. 
God was going to reestablish Israel in their place as his chosen people in a very special position. And so that's part of it. But when he talks about serving God without fear, he's also talking about without fear of God in the sense that we're not afraid that he is going to pour out his wrath upon us. In fact, it tells us, and I think of Ephesians chapter 1, it says, You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. In times past you walked according to the course of this world. And he says that in times past we were the enemies of God. There are several passages in the in the New Testament talk about the fact that we are living as God's enemies set against him at enmity with him because of our sin. And he says, because of the work of this Savior, the Messiah, we can serve God without fear. In other words, there's no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. God's wrath has been satisfied. Our sin debt has been paid. And we can actually serve God without fear of his legal condemnation. And so that's a major part of what he's saying. He also says that we can serve him in holiness and in righteousness. And you ask the question, how in the world can a sinner serve God in holiness and righteousness? And the fact is, if that holiness and righteousness is connected to what he actually is, then the fact is he never could. But we can because of the imputed righteousness of Christ. And think about Romans chapter 3 and Romans chapter 4. It says, by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. He says, but now the righteousness of God is revealed, even the righteousness of God, which was revealed in the Old Testament. (laughs) And he tells us that this righteousness is from God, and it's upon all those who believe. He says, when a person embraces the gospel, God literally takes the righteousness of Christ and he imputes it to their account. He credits it to them when they themselves are not righteous. And I think about what Paul says when he talks about not having a righteousness, which is of himself, but the righteousness which comes from God by faith. He talks about about this righteousness. And the fact is that that really is at the heart of what he's talking about in these verses. The reason that we can serve God without fear is, is because he's removed our sin debt by the cross. The reason that we can serve God in holiness and righteousness is that when we've been placed into Christ, his righteousness has been credited to us and God views us as righteous in Christ, not righteous in and of ourselves, but righteous in him. I want you to realize this morning that when we talk about the Christmas story, and we talk about the gospel, this really is the heart of that message. This message is about God coming to literally pay the price for our sins. Christ coming and dying in our place. It's about God being faithful to his word. He promised that he would send a redeemer, and he followed through with it on every single point. And the gospel is about making us fit positionally to be able to stand before God, to be able to be viewed as someone who is righteous and holy in Christ, someone whose sin debt has been removed, and someone who is who no longer has fear of condemnation from God because God has literally already poured out his wrath on our sin. You might say, well, how can we practically live in the light of this? And I say, how could we how could we not live practically in the light of this? First thing I'll say is this, do you understand the point of the gospel? If you don't understand really the point of the Christmas story, 
and you don't understand the point of the gospel, that I want to encourage you to go back over this passage of scripture and read it very carefully and think about what it's saying. Not just what it's saying in a general way, but what it's saying about you. What it's saying about you and the fact that you need a savior and the fact that you really don't deserve to stand righteous before God because you're not. The fact that you really should fear God's condemnation because you are guilty. And the fact that Christ took your place, that he took on flesh, he went to the cross, he paid the penalty for your sins, and in him you can be declared righteous and stand in God's presence, fully accepted by him through Christ. The second question I have is this, have you turned to Christ and embraced the gospel? It might be that there's someone that's listening to this uh, this series today that's never trusted Christ. And if you haven't trusted Christ, I want to encourage you during this Christmas season, now is the time to turn to him and to trust in what he did for you so that you can be accepted by God and forgiven and cleansed. And the last thing I want to ask you is this, do you know for sure that your sins are forgiven and that you're right with God? You can know that for certain. That's why Christ came so that he could establish the one and only way through which you could stand righteous in him before the Father. I hope this has been a challenge to you this morning. I love this text of scripture. It is one of the richest and most beautiful Christmas passages. It's one that we often don't go to, but we really should when we come to this season. Let's bow together for a word of prayer and thank God for what he's done for us. Father, thank you so much for sending your son to redeem us from the curse of the law by taking our sin debt in full upon himself. I pray that every person that has the opportunity to come in contact with this video would be challenged by the scriptures and would be ever grateful for Christ's work of redemption. If there's anyone listening who's never trusted Christ, I pray that you would open their understanding, that you would convict their hearts and convince them of their need to, to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ in repentance and in humble faith. We ask that you'll bless us this day as we go about our business. May we reflect deeply on these truths, and may we be very grateful in the light of them. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, it's been good to talk to you this morning. Lord willing, next time we will <coughs> continue and finish <coughs> this section of very rich information about the gospel and really the Christmas story. Have a good night. A good afternoon. Bye now.